how to do the impossible. The very word impossible means, as you can imagine, it's not possible. And our story today in the 14th chapter of Matthew strikes us as one of those moments where we hear the story and we think, that's not possible. It's one thing for Jesus to walk on the water, but in the story in this 14th chapter, Peter walks on the water. Now, uh, we acknowledge that he walks a little bit and then he begins to sink, which is what's supposed to happen because the molecular structure of water will not hold up a normal human body walking with regular feet. And yet the story says the impossible occurred. We'll talk more about a few of the details in this story, but as you might imagine, and is with the case often in these fascinating and very important gospel stories that come to us in all four of our gospels, there often is important historical context, or at least stories behind the story, that allows us to have a little more sense of the meaning and the purpose, and how the stories really instructed the early Christian community. This is one of those stories, this 14th chapter of Matthew, and Jesus walking on the water, but even more, Peter walking on the water, doing the impossible. It turns out the story behind this story is really a historical moment in the history of Rome and in the history of the Christian church. It turns out it was about this time of year. It was in July of 64, late July, early August, exactly the time we're talking about now, and not too unlike our own context in and around Atlanta in Decatur, July, late July, early August can be very, very hot. Well, this was the case not only in Galilee that we'll talk about a little more in a moment, but also in Rome, where this story really took on important meaning, even before it was a part of the actual Bible, before the Gospel of Matthew was written, even before the first Gospel, the Gospel of Mark, probably written around 70 AD, even before the Gospel of Mark was written, this story was circulating among Christian churches in the Mediterranean world, and especially in the church in Rome. And in 64 AD, this story gave particular meaning to the word impossible and being with Jesus in the impossible moments. The story is this. In 64 AD, in July, the emperor was Nero. And Nero, it turns out, decided he wanted to renovate his palace on, on Palatine Hill. And it turns out that the area he wanted to move his palace into was already occupied by a large group of poor people with homes that were made of wood. They, they were down by the Tiber River. And so it probably was that Nero decided to hire some people to go down and strategically burn these houses so that instead of having to remove them forcefully, he could just simply burn them out and take over the land because they had been lost to fire, or the houses had been lost to fire. Well, you probably know the story where the fires that were set by these hired workers from Nero uh, allegedly uh, strategically set 
got out of control. The wind shifted, as often happens in July and August. Uh, apparently, a, a, a harsh wind from North Africa came moving up the Italian coast and moved that the flames of those fires in directions that had not been anticipated. As a result, very quickly, the whole city was engulfed in flames. And by the time, after six days of ongoing fire, 70% of Rome, the imperial capital of the Roman Empire, was lost to the flames. This included incredible architectural wonders, uh, philosophical pieces by incredible, incredibly famous philosophers and writers. And, and uh, I mean, the, the, the loss in this moment in 64 AD, in July and early August, is incalculable. And not only was all this lost to history from, from literature and science and architecture and all the different things that uh, were lost in the flames, many, many people lost their lives, lost family members, lost their homes. So as you can imagine, the population of Rome was furious was grieving, was traumatized, and they were looking for somebody to blame. And they began to figure out that this could be traced back probably to Nero. Well, Nero, being the kind of person he was, didn't want to accept responsibility, tried to shift the blame, and looked around for somebody to serve as his scapegoat. So the, the uh, historian, the Roman historian Tacitus, gives us some insights into this. And you can look this quote uh, just simply Google uh, Tacitus on the fires of Rome and Nero. And Tacitus, this Roman historian, talks about what Nero ended up trying to do, floundering around trying to blame somebody, uh, wanted to blame the Jewish people in Rome, but realized there were so many Jewish people in Rome it would get too complicated. So instead he, he put the blame on a new little budding group of people called Christians. And Tacitus gives us the details of, of how Nero blamed the Christians. He began to force some confessions from some people who he forced them to, to, to implicate other people. And little by little, the Christian community in Rome suffered horribly. And, and Tacitus gives us some details to the point where Christians were even wrapped in, in uh, sort of robes filled with tar and then were set on fire and used in Nero's gardens for feast at night to light the service torches at night. Uh, living people burning alive uh, while Nero gives these parties for folks. I mean, it was a horrible thing, and, and Tacitus offers some other insights, saying, finally, even the people of Rome who didn't like the Christians uh, to begin with, they thought they were sort of seditious and unpredictable. Even Romans were horrified at the way Nero ended up cruelly treating these Christians. Well, this was the backstory to this 14th chapter of Matthew in the sense that the church in Rome could not survive. Nobody expected that church to survive. In fact, at the time, the church in Rome was one of the key places, the key churches of that early church. Uh, Jerusalem by this time had sort of shifted its, its, its uh, focus, and Rome now was seen as kind of the center of, of the theological authority for the, the early church. And yet here, the church in Rome was being persecuted 
terribly. Most people did not expect the church to survive. The Christian faith, most thought, was going to just simply crumble as the persecution spread. And in fact, Peter was crucified upside down. He was going to be crucified, and then he insisted since Jesus was crucified, uh, he did not. He was not worthy of being crucified in the way that his master had been crucified. He was to be crucified upside down. Peter was killed. Paul was beheaded, probably all in 64, and as a result of these persecutions following the fire of Rome. And by the way, you probably heard the, the statement, Nero fiddled while Rome burned, which is where this saying comes from, that uh, Rome was in flames, Nero didn't do anything, just stood around and watched. And then after the fact, uh, began to look around for somebody to blame. So this was uh, July and August of 64 AD. This was before the Bible really came into being. It was before the Gospel of Matthew was, was put together. But these stories about Jesus, who Jesus was, what Jesus did, and how Peter fit into the stories around Jesus and the disciples. This was crucial for that church, for this moment was a time of impossibility of survival. The church, there was no way the church was going to survive. And then they began to tell this story, and they remembered together the, the context, this, the fact that storms often happen uh, on the Sea of Galilee. It's a geographical bowl that is 700 feet below sea level. Storms come in unpredictable ways. Weather systems can be channeled down through the, the Jezreel Valley to the south of the Sea of Galilee and then up the Jordan River Valley and can be channeled through the Valley of the Doves into that bowl and, and they will, will converge on the Sea of Galilee and create total chaos in a very short amount of time so that it's very easy to be trapped in the middle of the sea and be terrified by a storm. And this is what happened to the disciples. This is what happens to us sometimes. This is what happened in Rome when they found themselves in the midst of a horrible storm of controversy and hatred and persecution. The story in the storm with winds raging and, and waves crashing and the disciples terrified and in the storm, in the middle of the storm, Jesus comes to them. Now, they don't recognize him at first. In fact, they think he's a ghost because they can't see clearly through the wind and the waves and the rain. But it's Peter who becomes the patron saint of the Roman church. It is the Basilica of St. Peter's in Rome that stands as a monument to Peter's faithfulness. And it's from, in many ways, this story. Peter calls out to Jesus, Lord, is it you? Is it really you? The, the way the story flows allows us to, to get several key lessons from doing the impossible, how to do the impossible. And the first step in this story and how to do the impossible, how to make it through the storm, how to survive the frightening realities that surround us, the first thing is to be clear about who is coming to us. Is it really Jesus? This is what Peter does. Lord, is it really you? This is in verse 29. And Peter says, if it's you, Lord, let me know. This clarity is really important because there are times in our lives when we, we 
think we're being inspired to do something. And it's important to be clear. Is this really Jesus coming to me in the midst of the storm? My father used to tell a story, and I remember very clearly when this happened. Uh, in the middle of the night, about 2 o'clock in the morning, dad receives a phone call. And back in those days, it was a landline that was a loud ring in the middle of the night, and it woke the whole house up. Dad picks up the phone, and it turns out, he, he told us later, it was a man who was not that active a member. He didn't seem that much, but uh, Dad said that it was pretty clear he'd had a little bit too much to drink. And he was, was kind of slurring his words, but he, he said, Preacher, the Lord has spoken to me, and the Lord has said, I need to, I need to contribute something to the church, he said. Now, it turns out he had seen at Kmart, which those of you that had not heard of Kmart, it was sort of the Walmart before Walmart was cool. So at Kmart in downtown Chattanooga, he had seen a spotlight that had a multicolored uh, turning, sort of rotating color wheel. And he, he was fascinated by this. And so at two o'clock in the morning, he's calling my dad and he says, preacher, I want to donate this this multicolored spotlight. He said, just imagine as you're preaching your sermon and the, and the light on you goes from red to green to purple to blue to yellow to orange and back to purple. Uh, preacher, it'll be beautiful. It'll bring people from all over Signal Mountain. He said, just think of if you, if you have that in the baptistry when you're baptizing somebody, how meaningful that will be. Well, it's important for us to be clear. Is this really Jesus? Or in the case of this guy, might it be a little too much alcohol? Or in other cases, maybe a little too much caffeine? Uh, in this case, with Peter, Peter wants to make clear, is this really you? Let me know, Lord. And the way Jesus responds is simply, come. Jesus calls Peter to him. So the first part of our our hearing this story and learning the lessons from this story, the first part is to be clear, is this really Jesus? But then secondly, it is to be ready. If it is Jesus, this is a beautiful moment where Peter immediately, when he hears Jesus' voice, when he realizes this really is Jesus, he's ready. He is prepared to do something significant. And it's important for us then to not only be ready, we can be clear and we can be ready, but if we're not brave, neither of those first two will make a lot of difference. It is in this moment where Peter really shows some courage. In fact, he is encouraged by Jesus' voice. The word encouraged is a beautiful word. It's, it, it literally means to take courage into ourselves. It is to, to have courage in me. It is to become brave. Hearing Jesus' voice, Peter sometimes suddenly is far more brave than he realized he could be. That boat, it was bad enough being in a boat in the midst of a storm on the middle of a sea, in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. That's bad enough. But now Peter, uh, with Jesus' call to him, gets out of that boat and moves to the water. And in this moment, Peter begins to do the impossible. He starts walking towards Jesus, and he's focused on Jesus. And this is crucial for us in the times of our lives when we need to be bravest, to stay focused on Jesus.
And of course, what happens is Peter being human, like you and me, he's focused on Jesus for a moment, but then he begins to realize, wait a minute, I'm out here with no boat around me. The waves are crashing. The wind is howling. The rain is pouring. And I am standing on water. This is impossible. And so he does what the rest of us would do. He loses his focus. He begins to sink. And in this moment, he calls out, Lord, save me. So we need to be clear. Is this really Jesus? We need to be ready because if it is Jesus and he calls us, we need to get up and go. And in doing so, we need to be brave. But we also need to be humble. For inevitably, stuff is going to happen. We are going to mess up. We're going to fail at some point. And what Jesus does is calls out, Lord, save me. The, the benefit of recognizing we can't do this all on our own. We need not only to stay focused on Jesus, but when we lose our focus, we need to still be able to call out to Jesus for help, to accept assistance in our time of need. So we need to be clear. We need to be ready. We need to be brave. We also need to be humble, to be able to ask for help. And in this moment, Jesus reaches down and it says, with his hand, he grabs Peter and lifts him up. And together, they move back to the boat. And in that moment, in getting to the boat, the wind ceases. And the disciples worship him and say, surely this is the Son of God. The people of Rome, hearing this story in 64 AD, in the aftermath of that incredible tragedy, took heart. They used Peter as their model. They remembered this story and understood that in the midst of their trauma, in the scary time they were living through, in the, the unpredictable days, the uncertainties that they had in Rome as a hated minority, when people said, there is no way you people are going to survive as a faith group. You are done. And yet, we know today the Basilica of St. Peter's stands as an incredible monument to the faithfulness of those early Christians who took this story to heart, who were clear about Jesus in their hearts and their minds and their spirits. They were ready to do what they needed to do, not only to survive, but to thrive and ultimately to change the course of the Mediterranean world, the Roman world, and our world. They were brave in the midst of their difficult circumstances, and they too were humble in asking for help, in reaching out, and in calling out to Jesus and saying, we cannot do this on our own. We've got to have your assistance. Brothers and sisters, we are faced often with doing the impossible. Living through these difficult days feels like it is so difficult to imagine that the world might someday not have a COVID-19 to deal with. 
it's even hard to imagine right now for many of us being able to come back and worship in the ways that we're accustomed to. And yet the story of Rome in 64 AD, the story of Peter walking on the water to Jesus gives us immense hope that we too can do the impossible. Let us be clear. Let us be ready. Let us continue to be brave and let us be as humble as we can as we seek to do the impossible and live out the impossible dream of God. May it be so. Amen.